So thankful that you're here today. Uh, good morning and buenos dias. What a beautiful day it is and what a great thing we get to share in. So glad to have uh, Roberto and Teto here with us this morning as they shared in Bible class and also excited to hear from our teens as they shared just a little bit about contact. Thank you guys for doing that. And excited to have Scott Blackwell here with us from Tulsa. Scott is a member at the uh, at the Park Plaza Church of Christ, but he also works a lot with the Contact Church of Christ. He also works in Eagle's Nest with, with the church there a lot, and he also is with us at Men's Retreat, so he has membership at four different churches. And if you haven't met Scott, he's here with us this morning, all, I think in a lot of ways representing Contact and all the wonderful things. Later on in our teaching this morning, you'll get to hear from Jonathan uh, Stein, who's the associate minister there at Contact. But what a, what a blessing. What a blessing it is to have children here. What a blessing it is to have so many great things happen in our church family, and we're thankful for that. I want to just begin with a prayer, and then we're going to jump into chapter 25 of the story and week three of our missions month. Let's pray together. Father, may the meditation of our heart desire of our souls, the words of our mouth be pleasing in your sight. May you come and speak right now. Show us truth with a capital T. Challenge us and change us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. There is evil in the world. But thank God there is also good in the world. The truth is also that there's evil and a capacity for evil right here in this room in you and me, but thank God there's also great capacity for good right here in you and me. This world out there outside these walls is full of falsehoods and lies, but thank God the world is also full of truth and beauty. And right here in this room, there's great capacity for falsehood and lies. But thank God there is capacity for truth and beauty. I say it often to myself, and I remind you again, that the line of good and evil is not somewhere out there. The line of good and evil isn't some big, bold fence that we can see so that we can stand on one side and say, look, I'm always on the side of good and everybody else that I don't agree with or I don't like or who is different than me, they must be on the other side. The truth is, when we're honest, is that the line of good and evil runs right through our very souls. The Bible speaks of that. The Bible speaks of it in ways like in 1 John 2.16 where the, the sins of humanity are described as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. In other places, if you combine all the different ways that evil is talked about out there and lies and falsehood are talked about in scripture, you get a picture that many different writers have said is that there's three enemies of the soul, the flesh, the devil, and the world. In our reading this week, if you were following along in chapter 25, a major theme that you picked up on is this search for truth, of trying to figure out what is good and what is not. In our reading this week, chapter 25 was all centered on this theme of who is this man? 
Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy who's claiming to be the son of man that other people are calling the Messiah? It's an identity crisis of a chapter that we just read. The gospel writers are honest about people's confusion about who Jesus is. And I hope you dug into those stories this week because this morning what we're going to do is zoom in and not just look at the question of truth and falsehood and lies on a 30,000 foot view, but we're gonna zoom in and look at Mark or John chapter eight. And what we're gonna discover is as we zoom in, we're gonna take an inside look at Jesus's identity. Not only just as the son of God and as savior and Lord, but today we're going to look at how he stands and he claims that he is truth with a capital T. This morning in chapter 25 out of the story and from John chapter eight, we will get to see that Jesus makes this great declaration that he is truth and his truth, this truth with a capital T will set you free. So grab that Bible, let's go to Mark, or I keep saying Mark, John chapter eight. Uh, John chapter eight, we're gonna start in verse 31. We're gonna read a pretty big section, but I want you to hear this kind of, this dialogue that's happening that's about falsehood and lies and then truth. So here's what happens. To the Jews who had believed him, so these are people interested, Jesus said to these people, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Now, that's a funny little line for the Jewish people who are kind of believing in Jesus to say. Because the truth is, is they have been slaves many times to many different people. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you have looked for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. So Jesus brings up this question of, who's your father? And they answered, Abraham is our father. Well, if Abraham, or if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your own father. So Jesus is questioning where they're getting their ideas of him from, where they're getting their idea of truth from. So the conversation continues. We are not illegitimate children. This is kind of probably an insult towards Jesus because they didn't know who his father was. This is a little bit of a knock at him. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong to your father. Now here's where the bomb drops. You belong to your father, the devil. 
And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. This is a head-spinning dialogue happening here in John chapter 8. It's a discussion, though, on where the Jews are receiving their ideas on who Jesus is. Where's that coming from? They are unsure of the identity of Jesus, and then Jesus is making this bold claim. I really want us to get this in our head because it won't make sense unless you do. Jesus makes this bold claim that their source, their fatherhood, where they're getting their ideas and their thoughts are coming from the devil. Not Abraham, but the devil. This is a wild conversation, church. But it's important. Because in this discussion, what Jesus is doing is he's going to show us how to discern and how to reveal in our own lives something so important. How do we find truth with a capital T? So let's talk a little bit about what Jesus talks about. Y'all want to talk about the devil for a little bit? Let's talk about the devil. Everybody excited? Well, we're going to. All right. No, we're going to talk about the devil. Jesus in this small little section of scripture reveals three big truths about the enemy. The first truth he reveals is that in spite of our post-enlightenment world, Jesus claims that the devil is real. Now, in Scripture, this figure, this icon, he's called an archon in some places in Scripture, which means a figure or a fallen ruler. Jesus calls him here the devil. It's a Greek word, diabolos. It's where we get the word diabolical. In Scripture, though, there's all kinds of names, which really aren't names, but they're titles for him. The slanderer, the accuser, the deceiver, the serpent, the adversary. None of those are personal names in Scripture. Scripture deals with this figure by giving him a title. The point is, though, I think by Jesus, of whether you believe he's talking about an actual being that we could see and encounter, or if he's talking about something behind the scenes, a force, or a fallen ruler, what the truth is is clear. Is Jesus is saying this figure, this titled person or force is real. He's not a myth. He's not a cartoon character with a pitchfork. This figure is the force of power behind the things, behind the things that is responsible in some level for evil, for the fallenness of our world. Second thing Jesus reveals about the devil is number two is the devil's agenda is murder. Later in John 10, 10, Jesus will say, the thief only comes to do what? Steal, kill, destroy. Here in John 8, he says this figure, he does one thing. He has an agenda. He has a mission. And his mission is to destroy. In very plain terms, he says the devil's intent is to burn it all down. Right? There's a famous line from movies. Some men just want to see the world burn. That's what Jesus says. He has been a murderer from the beginning. 
In other words, maybe what Jesus is saying, to put that in different terms, is God creates good and he creates order and he creates life. The enemy comes to destroy good, ordered life. The third thing Jesus reveals, though, is that if this one, this figure is real and his agenda and his mission is murder, then finally his strategy is lies. In fact, Jesus calls him the father of lies. His native language is lies. It's not a language that you sign up for on Duolingo, right? Mm, I could learn Spanish or German. How about I'll go with lies, right? But this is what the devil has learned. In fact, Jesus even says that's the only language he knows. When he speaks, you may have heard the term a heart language, your native language, how you speak. He only can speak lies. So let's sit with that for just a second. Because we're gonna work just for a moment on discerning as a church what I think Jesus is trying to get his Followers or these disciples, these interested people to do. He's trying to get them to discover truth with a capital T. So let's deal with what's a lie and what's truth, right? What's a lie? A lie is this. In plainest, easiest terms, a lie is something that doesn't relate to reality. In big measure or in tiny measure. We call tiny measure white lies and then we call big lies big lies, right? But a lie is just simply something that doesn't relate to reality. The the truth, though, is just what is reality. What is really happening. And since the beginning, this figure has been dealing with this strategy, this weapon of lies. So go back in your mind to Genesis chapter three in the garden when the creature came to Eve. He came and he tempted her, right? He came to destroy what was good. He came to steal, kill, and destroy what was given to humanity as beauty and goodness. But notice what he comes with. This figure, the devil, the accuser, the ha-satan as the Hebrew says, the accuser comes and he comes not with a weapon of mass Eden destruction, He doesn't give Eve a sword or a gun and say, mess it all up. He doesn't give her a weapon of war. He gives her an idea, a lie. Oh, has God told you that you won't die? You will surely not die, the snake tells Eve. And when we think about that and combine that with what we see in John 8, what we we realize is, is what his audience was doing is they were, what Jesus was exposing them in them was that this force whose language is lies is starting to lead them to his goal, their destruction. Because a lie, if believed long enough, what does it do? You guys know, right? The longer you believe a lie, the, long, the, the easier it becomes for you to mix up what is true what's real, and what's a lie. Those two get switched. The longer you believe a lie, the more likely you believe that lie is reality. And that is what Jesus is warning against. 
And I want to dig into that. I want, to, I want to use the text as a backdrop, but I really want to get into this morning how we can discern truth with a capital T. So let's dig in to see how this works. And I want to show how this works through the three main questions all of us ask about life. There's three main things that all of you are asking, whether you know it or not. It's a question that the Bible's answering, and it's a question that every human being is trying to figure out. And those three questions are this. Who is God? Who am I? And how do I live? Everybody answers these questions in some way or another in their life. Probably about the time they hit pre-adolescence. You start to wonder about this. Your brain switches and you can start thinking about uh, things and more abstract ideas. We may not say it that way, but we say, what's my purpose? What's my identity? And what's my mission? What is my life about? Who am I? And what do I do once I discover who I am? And this is key to what's happening in John 8. Purpose, identity, and mission. Because the enemy is always speaking his native language into the way we answer these three questions. And the Jews who are talking to Jesus at this moment are starting to really believe, even though they should be the ones to recognize Jesus, they are starting to mess it up and believe a lie and miss Jesus as he's standing right in front of them. So we ask, who is God? And because we can answer in many different ways who God is, we often ask that in terms of, do I have a purpose? Can I trust this God? And the enemy comes along and he speaks his language. And his language says, I'll tell you who God is. He's unloving. He's a tyrant. Just as he spoke to Eve, he speaks to us. This God is a God who is keeping something from you. He's holding out. He's not giving you all you want. He's holding you back from your real purpose. We ask, who am I? What does it mean to be a husband or a wife? What's it mean to be a teen? What's it mean to be a man or a woman? And the devil lies again, right? And you've heard these lies and he comes and he whispers in our ear or he pushes us or he gives messages to us from other people that say, well, you do you. That's who you are. You are who you want to be. Take control of your life. Then if you can take control of your life, guess what? Just like Eve, he said, you can be like God. And we ask, how should I live? What should my life be about? What is my mission? And the devil's real sneaky with this one. And he says, well, you can't trust God. Look at that bright, shiny thing over there. Take that, eat that, buy that, buy it again, seize that, follow your heart. Your mission, it's what he's told the Western world, is to do what you want, to find your truth, to find your happiness. And of course, over time, these lies, if embedded deep in us, they become reality. And so this morning, that line of truth and falsehood runs through every one of us. And many of us this morning are only, not only showing up kind of a mixed bag of truth and evil, truth and falsehoods, but we come in here believing things like this. 
believing lies like we're only as good as our success. Because the enemy has whispered that in our ears. You are only good if you have this amount of money. Or we believe things like, well, I'm not popular I don't because I don't get the attention that that other person gets or I don't get the social media following that we're all so worried about. And we believe things like I'm not good enough and so therefore I'm not worthy. How many of us this morning have believed this lie? I can't conquer my sin. By my own ability, I've tried. So I must be an evil, bad person. And you probably have never called yourself that, but you probably have said this. That's just who I am. I'm just an angry person. I'm just a selfish person. I'm just a gossipy person. I'm just fill in the blank. Or maybe we believe the lie this morning that says, I have to have everything in order and under control to have peace. Or maybe just as a church, we believe lies like this. Since I don't know the Bible that much, I can't possibly share my faith. I haven't gone to school for it. Or how about this one? Church, this is a good one in the Western world. The enemy has convinced millions of people, church is here for me. Well, I didn't like that song. Well, we weren't singing to you. (laughs) Right? And I fall into that lie. My songs, my ways, my tradition. See, life is full. I go through all those and because life is full of those lies. Inside and outside us. Inside the church and outside the church. And it can be overwhelming when we listen to these. So how do we know what is true? How can we find truth? We live in a world of untruth. The truth doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that we want to do in America is win. Nobody cares if it's true as long as I am the victor, right? That's our driving force. But as Christians, we are not called to follow the father of lies. We're called to follow the son of truth. So how can we know what's true? I would just begin here. It's where trail read for us. John 14, 6, you know this. Jesus answered his disciples. He says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think the best remedy we have against falsehood is to realize that truth is not a list of ideas. Truth is a person. Truth's a person. See, when Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life, he answers all three big questions in the world. The three big questions. Who's God? Who am I? What's my mission? What's my, what's, how do I live? He answers all three of those. Who's God? He's Jesus. He's truth with a capital T. Who am I? As a person, I'm created to be like Jesus. He is the way. How do I live? Jesus' life, I live like Jesus. So we ask our contact, uh, friends at Contact Church to give us a little bit of just stories of things that are happening at Contact that is starting to reveal truth in Tulsa. And Jonathan sent me this video and in about six minutes, he went through and shares three different stories of how truth as a person is starting to bring people out of addiction into new life, 
out of hardship and into new life, and they're starting to see truth with a capital T. So let's check this out. He's really not upside down the whole time. Watch this. All right, whoop, there we go. Well, good morning, Canadian family. Every year I get these prompts from supporting churches, like from Canadian and some others. And I always wish I had that exact right story. I mean, surely the truth of Jesus setting someone free is going to be an obvious thing that we have tons of stories of. But the truth is it just often takes time. Many people we get to meet and build relationships with have lived in deep, deep lies, believing they're worthless. They're looking for solutions and addictions and stuck in this constant survival mode. To really hear the truth of Jesus, it can just take weeks or months or even years. But like Ron, our senior holy man, says, I'll give up on them when Jesus gives up on me. So let me share three snippets into people's lives where I've seen truth take hold. Uh, last year, we had our first Easter experience, which is this event uh, that Cherith, one of our ministers, dreamed up of a living Passion Week, that week from Jesus going to the triumphal entry to the cross. And we had these big plans and we brought them down a little tighter because we made it into a trial year and we're getting geared up for a much bigger neighborhood inviting one this year. But I digress. So in that, we had all the people at church go through this experience and they had the triumphal entry come in and our donkey canceled at the last second. So Jesus was just walking with palm leaves being laid down. And then they went through this last supper where they got to take the bread and the cup with Jesus and the disciples in a room. Then they went out and experienced the betrayal in the garden and, and Jesus being arrested and then went to this scene of the cross. And Jesus wasn't on the cross. It was after Jesus had, had been taken from the cross, but the Roman soldier uh, stood there and told this story. And after experiencing this, a teen girl uh, who had barely been to contact before went to Jamie, our, our preaching minister, and she said, that was real. That was real. And what I heard in that, and what he heard in that, is that real is true. Something in that story connected with her mind and with her heart and moved her closer to Jesus. Amen. Another story. We've got this member, and I've probably told you about him before in one of these years and one of these stories. His name is Dale. And when I arrived at contact, Dale was fairly fresh out of jail. He'd lost his kids in the process, um, and it was a rough, rough time for him. But he also remembered what his grandma had told him about Jesus when he was growing up. And he remembered the times that he'd spent at contact. And so over time, he starts coming and he starts participating. And by the time I got here, he was getting deeper and deeper engaged. He was going to drug court and doing the hard work there week and week out. And by listening to God's truth and starting to believe the things that Jesus wanted him to know about who Dale is, he earned back custody of his three kids. And in that time, he also got engaged. He got married in our 4th of July under the sea spectacular wedding. We had decorations for camp up and they got married with ocean display all over the, the stage. But it was this beautiful thing where Megan and her two kids and Dale and his three kids came together and they'd been through all this pain and all this mess and all this hurt. 
but the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus began to transform their lives. And now they're this strong family, faithfully participating and leading at church. And not only that, they're also sharing Jesus' truth constantly with people at work and at school. And many people have come to contact through their love and their relationships. Last but not least, I love contact because it's a place where I feel like the words of the Bible leap off the page. We worship with people from so many backgrounds, ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses, and our building is right in the middle of so much need. It, it really is never a challenging thing to find a way to serve that reflects the truth of Jesus, taking off that towel and getting down and dirty with some feet, so to speak. A lot of our interns during the summer over the years have gotten a chance to experience that. And it's for that reason that we just can't get rid of a bunch of them. Three of our interns from last year in 2023 will be at contact full-time by this fall. Not to mention the blessing that Jillian Jones and Monsi Flores are, who both now are living and working in Tulsa because of the time they got to spend at contact. We love our Canadian to contact pipeline. And we hope that each and every summer, some of your teens are getting to experience the truth of the gospel in new ways that transform their imagination on what it looks like and means to be Jesus and to serve as the church. My hope is that you too are constantly being transformed by the truth of Jesus, that your heart, that your eyes and ears are open to what he wants to do in your life and in Canadian. And that even when it takes a long time, you will keep thinking souls and showing up for others so they might know that truth too. Thank you for your continued and your lavish support on us here at Contact. We love you all. We can't wait to see you in person again. Grace and peace. Amen. Beautiful stories from Contact. So... I want to wrap this up, but I want to get down to what really matters. You may not be into philosophy, so you may not ever th think about questions like who is God and what's my purpose and how do I live? So I want to get down to the so what. So what? Jesus has a conversation with people about the devil in which he explains to them and probably insults them and probably led to his death in some ways because when he comes back to Jerusalem the next time, they're ready to kill him, right? He has this conversation with them about truth, but so what? What's that got to do with us in 2024? Well, it's this. All of us need to spend some time thinking about what lies we have believed. What agreements have you made with the devil? And what I mean by that is what, where have you allowed yourself to say, yes, I'll do that. That's the way I'll operate because just for the moment, it makes me feel okay. When the truth is actually behind that and the truth might be harder to accept, but the truth will actually set you free. Because that's what Jonathan was just talking about. Three stories of people in which the truth began to set them free free. A young teenager girl saying, oh, I just saw Jesus's triumphal injury without a donkey, but it worked. And that's reality. I want that. Maybe this morning you have 
believe some lies. Some of those lies about who you are or how you get through life. Agreements you've made with evil that sound sometimes like this is that when I'm feeling down and bad about myself, then pornography will always say yes. So I'll go searching on my phone. And I'll at least feel good about myself for a moment. Or lies about how we talk about others, where the enemy whispers and we make an agreement to him and we say, when I don't feel good about Jake, I'll speak bad about fill in the blank because then at least I'll feel like I have some control. That's an agreement we make with evil. Or how about I don't confess and I don't get vulnerable with others because that is a weakness. That is a lie. When the truth is courage is vulnerability, Stoicism and being strong is actually weakness because you're not willing to admit who you really are. The agreement you make with evil in that moment is you be strong at all moments because you are always perfect. Nothing could be further from the truth. I could go on and on, but I want to close with this. I wanted to share a story about somebody who had just recently come to Christ from Sudan a woman named Ayin, who in her past, uh, as she moved out of Sudan and was uh, part of a fundamentalist Islam, she got really involved with uh, Richard Dawkins. And if there was the four horsemen of the new atheism, she was the fifth one. She's really intelligent. And just this last year, she's become a Christian out of realizing that there was no purpose in her life. But I don't want to tell you that story because sometimes God has a way of just kind of taking truth and bringing it home. So I want to close with a personal story. My mom called me on Friday. And she said, are you, are you somewhere where you can hear some news? Or she said, actually, are you somewhere you can hear some good news? And I responded, well, I can't believe you're calling me to tell me good news, mom, because you usually just call to tell me somebody from hometown died. All right? And she kind of laughed and kind of said, shut up. I said, no, I'm, I'm listening. What do you got? And my mom over the past six or seven years has done some ministry to her granddaughter. Her granddaughter who's a senior in high school. She takes her out to lunch. She tries to get with her at least once a week. And during those times, she's just been very consistent about mentioning the name of Jesus. And why that's been so important is my niece, since she's been pretty young, hasn't had much of an opportunity to spend any time with Jesus. She would say, well, I'm just not religious. My family's just not religious. She would kind of use that cultural language, which I was like, well, I don't even know what that means, but I never argued with her. But on Thursday at lunch, my niece told my mom she was having a tough day the other day. And during that tough day, she didn't know what else to do. And she said, I hadn't prayed in a long time. And so I really didn't know what to do. I didn't know if God would even hear me. But she does believe in God. So she went to God with her concerns and her stress and this pressure she was feeling. And 
without knowing too much of the story yet, because I haven't talked to her directly, my mom said that what she received in that time of prayer was my niece said, I had been so far from God. And in that moment of quick prayer, it was as if he told me, I am right here and I've never left you. And so she told my mom, I'm going to get baptized. I don't even know where she got the idea of getting baptized other than from my mom. And that was a story. I was like, that's truth with a capital T. Because the truth is, is we have a God who is relentlessly pursuing, relentlessly coming after us, relentlessly saying, stop believing all those lies and come and find freedom, freedom in forgiveness, freedom in laying down of your hurts, freedom in forgiving your brothers and sisters, freedom in laying down that sin and letting him handle it and you stop trying to control it, freedom in letting go of your worries and your stresses and seeking first the kingdom, freedom in the blood of Jesus, the power that we get to eat and drink of, as Roberto talked about. That's truth with a capital T. The truth that God is so good that when some young lady is willing to give God an inch, he'll take her a mile. So thankful for people in her life. She's been going to a couple Bible studies with Kirk and Michelle Collier. That's connections here, guys. That's the Lord. Whatever you can do today to expose the lies that are in your life, it's not scary. It might be a little bit, might make your head spin, but it's not scary. And I say it's not scary because on the other side of it's freedom. When we expose lies, we find truth. We find Jesus. If you need anything this morning, we're here for you. May we be a people who follow Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Let's stand together and let's sing.